Thank you, Pastor Daniel, again for invitation to be here to share. Um, it's truly an honor. If you have your Bible, Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to do this. Um, can you turn to 2 Chronicles 16 and then hold that spot and then Matthew 15? If you have your Bible on a device, just go to 2 Chronicles 16. 2 Chronicles 16 and Matthew chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this house. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing. We thank you, God, for your presence, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would cover my frailty, Lord. And I pray, God, in this moment, Lord, that you would give me your anointing, God. I know that my preaching is good for nothing unless we have your anointing, God. We need you to do something deep into our hearts, God, in this very very important topic, Lord, that as we cover the discipline, the spiritual discipline of prayer. So, Father, we ask you, Lord, even now, to make us people of prayer. Lord, show us what that means. Reveal that to us today. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just cover, before we get into Second Chronicles, just some very simple foundational things of prayer. Um, now, we won't be able to cover everything. I think if, if Pastor Daniel wanted to, he could probably preach on prayer from now until Jesus returns. And so we would not be able to cover everything. But just very foundationally, uh, prayer, in essence, is just talking to God and listening to him. Talking to God and listening to him. Pastor Daniel mentioned this last week, that when we read the Bible and meditate on it, it should lead to something and one of those things it should lead to is prayer. Um, praying and reading the Bible go hand in hand. And so when you read the Bible and you come across scripture that says love your enemy, it's not just, oh, that, that's really good, God, and that, that's deep and that's nice. We don't stop there. We actually begin to pray the scripture. That's what it means if you've heard someone say pray the scripture. So then your prayer may sound something like, Lord, I, I don't have this inside of me. Give me a love. Help me to obey you. And so the, it fuels our reading. I know for me that I actually pray to have a desire to read the Bible. None of us are born with that desire. It's the Holy Spirit that's wooing us and drawing us to himself and to intimacy. And then while I'm, while I'm praying, God, help me to read the Bible. And then I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying what I'm reading. And so it goes hand in hand. Um, when we pray the scriptures, we are praying in honesty about our condition. Very honest. I, I've learned over the years that the more honest I am with God, the more he changes me. He already knows everything that goes on in my life. He knows what I think. He knows what I'm going to say before I even speak it. And so there's no need to hide. There's no room for mixture. We do not want to live in a life of mixture. Instead, we don't need to run from praying, away from praying. We run to the Lord and we tell him what we need. Um, some of the things that I pray each day in my life, usually each day, um, part of my prayer time, I like to move and pray. It is difficult for me to stay still and pray, and so I like to get in the car and drive. I have a lot of miles on my car. Thank the Lord for that, but, um, and it's worth it. Uh, some of the things that I pray for is, Lord, shine the light. I'm just sharing with this you because maybe you may be saying, well, what, what do I do when I pray? I know I pray sometimes for needs and so on and so forth, but some of the things I pray for is, Lord, shine the light on any dark area of my heart. That's something I ask the Lord. I want to know if there's anything in my heart, God, that I need to confess to you as sin. The Bible says that if we confess our sins to the Lord, what is he? He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from the Lord. He doesn't just leave it at forgiving, but he's promised to change us as we're honest. Uh, 
when I'm praying daily, it's Holy Spirit, fill me. Well, the Bible says to be com- it's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's part of my daily prayer life. For protection, for my family, for myself, for you guys. As pastors, we pray for the church. We pray for protection. Uh, spiritual protection, emotional, physical, mental protection. I pray for a burden for souls. No matter uh, who we are or the way that God has used us in the past, there's still a present and a future. And so I pray, Lord, give me a burden for heaven and hell. I I pray for that, and the Lord will give us that burden. Give me wisdom. I pray for wisdom. The Bible says that he generously will give it to you. And, And so those are some of the things that I pray for. Now, when we pray, God always answers our prayers. It's either yes, no, or wait. There's always an answer. And the yes has to be based, Pastor Dan touched on this last week, it has to be based on Scripture. We, we can't say we've heard a yes from God and, uh, because maybe it's something we really desire or want and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, the character or the nature or the heart of God. Because someone may say, well, Pastor Sal, not every single situation is in the Bible, but the heart of God is in the Bible. And as we're close to Him, we get to know His heart and his nature and his character. I'll give you an example. Someone may take it the opposite way and say, well, you know, I'm not supposed to go on that plane because I'm afraid and I know God's answering my prayer if I should have went on that missions trip or not. And I'm not supposed to go because I'm afraid. Well, that's an incorrect, um, incorrect conclusion that you drew because God does not give us a spirit of fear. And so he doesn't speak to us by fear. And you see how the word of God fuels our answers. You see how when we get an answer, we believe we get an answer from the Lord, we go back to the Word and check it. Now, no, which we'll talk about a little bit later, good fathers say no. There, you, cannot find, you cannot say a father is a good father. He says yes to everything. Any dad that's in the house knows if we said yes to everything, our child's life would be a mess. And so God says no. But let me encourage you that God loves your voice. He loves your voice and he wants us to talk to him. And he wants to talk to us. He loves your voice, beloved. He loves when you start to spend time with him and talk to him and pour out your heart to him. And are honest with him. He brings us to a place where we don't have to sound like uh, grandma and how she prayed or we have to sound like so-and-so or we got to use the, all these fancy words. It's just this relationship, this deep, intimate relationship where we begin to pour out our heart to the Lord. The more we pray, the more we pray. Very simple. Prayer begets prayer. The more you begin to pray, the more you begin to intercede is a word that we use. The more we begin to pray for other people, to stand in the gap between somebody's need and God and say, God, uh, it's one of the most beautiful things that we can do as a Christian is to pray for another person's needs. And we begin to pray for that person. The more we're going to want to pray, the more we're going to see God answer prayer. And the more we're going to get to know his nature and his character, especially when a no comes our way, which is very important to know. I don't know if you've been in this situation, but sometimes when we're praying, be careful that we don't just come with our list. And again, it's not bad to have requests. The Bible says, bring your request to the Lord. But all of us should find some time that is unrushed or unclocked, if I can put it that way. 
I know for me that there are times where I'm praying and I'm like, Ooh, okay, I'm done. And you try to stop and it's like it, the Lord just kind of pushes you back down. I don't know if you faced that before. And part of me says, wow, this is such an honor, Lord. And the other part of me says, I, I want to do something else. But when we go back down, it's incredible because we know at that very moment that God, who created this entire universe, is asking us to do something to impact somebody's life. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 21 through 22, and this is in the NIV. It says, I did not send these prophets Yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. And so how many of us know that we need a word from God? We need the, the co-worker or the family member that's going through something. doesn't mean we need to solve every problem and every issue. But the Lord wants to give us something to share, something deeper than copying Somebody's devotional, something deeper than quoting somebody's sermon, something actually from the Lord himself. And it says it here, if, if these people would have just stood in my counsel, they would have spent time with me, they would have spoke to me, they would have listened to me, I will give them something in their hand that can impact somebody's life for eternity. We pray because there are decisions on the line. There's the, your future is on the line. Especially the young adults that are in the room. There are so many major decisions that you have to make with the least amount of experience. Who I'm going to marry. What career I should take. Should I move here? Should I do this? What should I study? Maybe you're a little further along in life. It's Should I help take care of my parents this way or that way? Or what am I supposed to do? And so there's so many decisions that we need to make. And so we need to seek the Lord in prayer. And, and let me just tell you this, this is a challenge, but don't do anything until you get an answer. Sometimes we say, yes, have you prayed about it? And most of us will probably say, yes, I've prayed about where to go to school, I've prayed about what to do. But the honest reality is, we still didn't get the answer yet, and it is very possible that we can move ahead of God. And so part of prayer is listening Part of prayer is getting an answer from God. He will answer you. He promised, call to me and I will answer you. It is a promise from God. And so prayer is so, so important. We talk about a word revival, which in essence is really an awareness of the Christian of knowing who God is and who that person is in God. It's an awareness of the season we're in. It's an awareness of, of, of the time that we're living in. And that person becomes alive. They get revived and they're saying, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be, some people use the word, they're on fire for God. They're passionate for God. But we will never see revival if we don't pray. It's impossible. If you look at the history of the church, and the different revivals that took place, prayer is at the center of them. As much as I love to worship, as much as I, I love to share a message, Prayer is at the center of those revivals. It's prayer. Those other things help. Those other things are, are beautiful and amazing, and they're, they're ways that we even fight in this battle. But it's prayer that's at the center of revival. So I'm going to say this as someone who technically 
I cannot sing. I don't play any instruments, but I, I love to worship. But we cannot have our worship be in place of prayer. So in our devotional time, if we, if we get a, a few Bible verses and we put on a Christian song, and that, that is amazing because I think part of our devotional time, we should be singing to the Lord. Even a song that we're just singing to the Lord right then and there from our heart, like we heard today. But that can't take the place of prayer. God still wants to hear your voice. And yes, you can pray in your head. Yes, you can pray quietly, but there's something about praying out loud. If there wasn't something about praying out loud, it wouldn't be so difficult for so many of us. Satan wants your voice to shut up. He wants you to be quiet. But when you begin to speak out loud in your home, it changes the atmosphere in your home. When you begin to declare who Jesus is and praise him, but when you begin to pray, when you begin to pray, God has given you a voice for a reason. We are to use that voice to call on the name of the Lord. And there are different times of prayer throughout the Bible, but the Apostle Paul did describe it at one point that prayer sometimes sounds like a labor room. My wife and I, we have four children that are six and under, and so those memories of the labor room are very fresh. <laughs> those of you who can remember what it's like, there's a cry in there. And so the Lord wants you to lift your voice. He wants you to get a breakthrough, to see a breakthrough. Now, I do believe this. I do believe, and I thank God that we have a prayer meeting here. Because there's a lot of churches that do not have prayer meetings anymore. They're not as popular. And so they shut them down. But thank God we have a Tuesday night prayer meeting. But folks, let me just say this. If the church, and I say church in general, actually believed that God answered prayer, every prayer meeting would be packed. If we actually believed that when we gather together on Tuesday night, when we pray for family, when we pray for the sick, when we pray for people's needs, that God is actually going to answer those prayers and do something, I'm telling you we would not have room in this place on Tuesday night. But it's going to take us to begin to start praying personally. It's going to take us to begin to start praying boldly and specifically and waiting on the Lord to answer. And when he does, I'm telling you, you're going to see you have so much authority inside of you that you will want to. This is not a plug for Tuesday night prayer. This is a, a, a challenge for your life. So discipline, we're talking about discipline. Discipline is training it's preparation. At times, discipline is correction. And at times, discipline is painful. But it produces fruit. Now, we're going to get into 2 Chronicles chapter 16 in a moment. Let me read some, some verses before that. In, in chapter 14, you, you don't have to turn there. There is a king, the king of Judah. His name is Asa. Now, this is what the Bible says in chapter 14, verse 2. It says, Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of his Lord, his God. And at one time, skip down to verse 9, just going to go through this quickly. In verse 9, the Bible tells us that Asa was about to get attacked. Now, this wasn't five guys waiting for you outside your workplace looking to jump you. I, I couldn't even imagine what this looked like. But the Bible says that an Ethiopian man came with an army of one million men. 
one million people and 300 chariots came to attack King Asa of Judah. And this is Asa's response in chapter 14. Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. He cried out to God. Because the first part of this, before we get into Matthew, is I want to share with you what happens to a believer when we stop praying. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1-2, through 2, it says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, and he went out to meet King Asa, and he was returning from battle. He said, Listen to me, Asa. He shouted, Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. So a warning comes to Asa. And when God sees that we begin to drift away in our heart, he sends warnings. But because Asa, I believe at this point, is still praying, he can hear correction. Because in the same chapter, in verse 8, listen to what he does. When Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. And in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. Wonderful response to what he heard. Wonderful response. He's saying we got to separate. There, we cannot not be in mixture. we got to separate from these things. Let's repair the altar of the Lord which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. And then he does something else which is a very important verse. Chapter 15, verse 18. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the various items that he and his father had dedicated. And now if you have 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. If you have it open, you can read along with me as I read it. It says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Basha of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. So now another attack comes to King Asa. But the response is different. Asa responded by removing the same silver and gold that he dedicated to God in chapter 15. Now he's taking that silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and he sends it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus, along with this message. The first thing I want to share with you is this. When a believer stops praying or begins to stop praying, they cannot separate the holy from the common. Church attendance becomes the same thing as uh, attendance at a sporting event. No difference. This is what happens to the heart of any believer, including myself. If we begin to stop praying, there's no difference from the holy and the common. The, the, the music that we lift up the name of Jesus with, there's no difference than any other music. Asa couldn't distinguish the difference. In chapter four, uh, 15, he dedicates certain objects to the Lord. He takes those same objects out that were dedicated to the Lord, and now he's using them to buy off the enemy. In verse 3, this is what he says to Ben-Hadad. Let there be a treaty between you and me like the one between your father and my father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Basha of Israel so that he will leave me alone. 
See, Ben-Hadad was an ally of this king of Israel, and, and pretty much if he knew he could get him off his, uh, away from him, then, then we can get a victory here. And that's what he was trying to do. And so Ben-Hadad agreed to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his army to attack the towns of Israel. They go ahead and conquer some cities. And as soon as, in verse 5, uh, Basha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and stopped all work on it. And then King Asa called out all the men of Judah to carry away the building stones and timbers that that Basha had been using to fortify Ramah, Asa used these materials to fortify the towns of Gibba and Mizpah. Now, now what just happened? King Asa took the things that were dedicated to God, the things that were supernatural, the things that were, that, that were, were an honor and a worship to God. He knew where the victory came from. Remember, one million Ethiopians came to destroy him, and he saw God's supernatural victory, but the same things that he dedicated to God, he turns around and he goes to Ben-Hadad and, and, and he, he buys his allegiance. Now the, first th- the next thing that happens when a person begins to stop praying, because remember he says, let me make a treaty like my father and your father did. When a person begins to stop praying, their Christianity becomes cultural. It becomes what we may think or feel is right, but not what God says is right. We begin to follow what we saw in the past or based on those that are around us, right or wrong. We say, okay, hey, Pastor Daniel did it so I can do it. Thank God I'm not Pastor Daniel. (laughs) I know people are watching us, and rightfully so. And so he says, listen, right or wrong, I can't hear from God anymore. I'm not seeking him. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And what's incredible is that uh, Asa decides to use these same materials that were coming against him to now fortify his own towns. In other words, the things that the enemy was trying to use, he puts in his hand and tries to strengthen himself with. Second Chronicles 16.5 as soon as Basha of Israel heard what was happening, he abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and stopped all the work on it. He got his answer, Asa. And so some of us may be sitting here or maybe you're online and you're thinking, what's the big deal? Because he got the answer. He got what he wanted. But see, to get your answer the wrong way always has consequences. It's not a real piece. It becomes a, a counterfeit piece. It's not the relationship that God has for you. It's just a relationship. The Bible makes it very clear that sin always leads to death. In 2 Chronicles 16, 7 through 10, somebody else comes to Asa, and this is what he says. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to King Asa and told him, because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, You missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. And don't you remember what happened? And he reminds him about the Ethiopians. At that time, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. And here's a very popular, famous verse that we're probably familiar with. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war or no peace, right? And Asa became so angry with Hanani for saying this, he threw him into prison, put him in the stocks, 
And at that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. So what happens when a person begins to stop praying? They can't hear correction anymore. They can't hear truth anymore. No matter how long they've been in church, no matter how many times they sang the songs, no how many altar calls they responded to. But all of a sudden, we stop praying and we start taking matters into our own hands. That's what Asa did. The message of God came to him, and what did he do? He threw it into prison. He tried to lock it up. So when a person stops praying, what happens? They can't hear the truth. They don't want to hear truth. And then he began to oppress some of his people, the Bible says. Or in other words, when we stop praying, we start to see men as trees walking. Jesus met a blind man, touched his eyes. He said, what do you see? I see men as trees walking. He had to touch him again, and then he can see clearly. What is that men of trees walking? I believe it is this. I believe that when we see men as trees walking, we see them as a means to an end with selfish ambition because those trees would build something. Those trees would would be my project. We don't see people anymore. We just see projects. When we begin to stop praying, we start hurting those around us. We don't see them as created anymore in the image of God. The Bible says that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to us. I I share this a a lot with the young adults. We need the character to keep what God is calling us to do. And so why why do we see so many people in leadership fail later on in life? I I believe, and this is just my belief, but but I believe that over the years of of, of them going from uh, one position to another to another, they were not very close to the Lord. And so when they finally got to where they had to go to, they fumbled it. Because they didn't have the character to keep it. And I hear that a lot, even with some of the young people. Oh, I I can't be a young adult. I got got all this college work. And I get college. It's important. I got all this work. I got to go to work. I got to go to this. I can't can't do this. I can't be here Tuesday for prayer. I got to do this. And I got to do And what happens is this. We get to a place that we're striving to get to. And then we don't stay there very long because we never had the internal character to keep it. And that's what prayer is. It's a preparation for what God has for us. He's saying, yes, I do have a calling on your life. I have a plan for you. But when you get there, I want you to be there and be fruitful there. I don't want you to get there and then it crumbles and it falls apart. That's what happens when you see some of these young people that grow up in the church. They become secular singers and they get real popular and then their life falls apart. They never had the character to keep it. They never had something inside. And so 2 Chronicles 16 verse 12 says this. In the 39th year of his reign, this is Asa, he developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. Asa did not finish well. Asa started well. The Bible said in in chapter 14 that he did the things that God wanted him to do. The things that pleased God, but he began to stop praying. He ends with no peace. Remember, he would have war around him. He ends with no peace. And then he ends with a foot disease, or in other words, he's got no power to walk in the direction God has for his life. Now he's crippled in his feet. Now he's not moving forward. You know, Christianity is a a forward thing, guys. And so he can't move forward anymore. He has another chance, but the Bible says, even in this time, he turns only to the physicians and not the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Or in other words, God uses the nothing and the nobodies. That's me. That's you. Come on, look at... Pastor Daniel, a young kid who didn't even want to speak publicly. How funny is God? Let's make him a lead pastor. You take Pastor Sadie's wife, a girl from the Bronx that gets transported out here to Rockland County. It was a total different world and a different culture. But God was preparing her to pastor. You take a young boy from the cornfields who was living a, a, a wild and rebellious life. And then God sends him to New York City to pastor. And then you get Pastor Floyd. You got a guy from Staten Island. I said, Christianity is a cult. I'll never be born again. You take our children's pastor, who her and her husband could have just stayed in Alabama, which sounds really nice right now. <laughs> but instead comes up here and, and, and forfeits some comfort for a while so she can serve the children in this church. God uses the nothing and the nobodies. But then we become smart. And we get all these strategies on how to advance the supernatural kingdom. There's plenty of books in the Christian section that will say three steps to a better whatever, right? I mean, I oversee the young adults, so five steps to reach young adults. Folks, I've learned that most people, when we meet them, they know right away if you love them or not. They know if you're for them or if you have an agenda. The truth is that many of them are just looking for truth that will set them free. And so all these five steps and all these smart things and how to grow this and how to do that, I believe it's one step. It's when we get on our knees and say, God, if you don't come, we're finished. If you don't come, we're done. If you don't come, my marriage is done. If you don't come, my family's done. If you don't come, nothing turns around, but God, you can turn it around. That's what it means to have a spiritual discipline of prayer. It's praying when it hurts, which we're about to talk to in a moment. We're invited to the throne of God to get the help that we need. And as we cry out to him, he moves his hand. Your voice can move the hand of God. Nothing of real power, real impact, or life change happens without prayer. And let me say this, what happens when the answer is no? I forget how many years ago now. It's probably about five years now when I got the call that my father was not breathing and unresponsive. My mother called and got a hold of my wife, and we rushed over to her house. And I walked into that, what we call the family room, and he was on the floor. And the EMT workers were around him trying to resuscitate him. And my wife and I prayed, and I called a friend, and we prayed. And and then I, I went down to that room, and I, and I just started praying. I said, Lord, this is, this is all I got. It's, I, I could pray, but I could pray for a miracle, God, because I know what you do in the Bible. I, I've seen how you've answered prayer, even in, in my own personal life and other people's lives. And so, God, I'm praying right now, and I asked the EMT, where anyone here is a Christian, start praying. I started praying for a miracle that my, my dad would come back to life, but nothing. He died that night. And, and so what happens when the answer is no? Do we just give up praying? Do we just stop? Because that's not discipline. It is so important that we know the character of God. 
If I didn't spend those intimate times with God, I don't know what I would be like after a night like that. I didn't have a trust issue with God after that moment because I already knew how good he was. I already knew whether he says yes or no or wait, I can trust him and he's a faithful father. God will use everything he can to seek and save the lost. The Bible says that Jesus has one mission, to seek and save the lost. And so if my father dying that night is so I can share it today so people can go to heaven, then God will use it. He uses the no's also to help bring people to heaven. He knows eternity is forever. And if we suffer a little bit here while we're on earth or we go through some hard times or we get some no's along the way, we don't quit and give up and stop praying. God is still faithful. He's still good. And they're not going to all be no's. There's going to be yeses too. And there's going to be waits. And don't do anything until we get an answer. Matthew chapter 15. If you have your phone, you can go to this. If you already had it open in your Bible, 15 verses 21 through 28. And the last thing I want to share with you is, at times, God will test us while we're praying. Test us. Remember, discipline is training. Discipline can be painful. Discipline is preparation. The Bible tells us this. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now, let's take a look at the story for a second, because number one, she prays a great prayer. This is a wonderful prayer. She acknowledged who God is. Wonderful to start that way in prayer. She praises who God is. She's honest about what's going on, and she's unashamed, because we know that this is in the company of other people. So her prayer is on point here. She's even honest about her own child. Wow, what humility, right? She's not covering up where her child is at. Her child is possessed, tormented by a demon and possessed. And she's honest. She recognizes who God is because she says, Son of David. That's another term for Messiah. She was a believer. She was declaring who God is. She knew who he was and he knew all about her. See, God is so sovereign. He's coming into her town. Her situation, God already knew, Jesus already knew all this situation that was about to take place, but yet she was still invited to pray. And so some of you may be wondering, if God knows everything, why do I have to pray? Dependency. God wants us to depend on him in life. When I first became a Christian, you'd hear things like, oh, that's your crutch. And then I started thinking, well, it's not even a wheelchair either. It's a death. Christianity is not a crutch. It's a death. 
It's a time where we give everything to God and we fully depend on him. And what's amazing is that Jesus does not say a word to her. I used to be a school teacher. I broke this rule often, but you're supposed to do this as a teacher. You're supposed to be quiet during the test. She's getting tested. Jesus doesn't say anything. He's quiet. But the testing drives her to God. See, there has to come a place in our Christian life, and it's not forever, but there are seasons of this. I remember talking to a, a, a young adult in this church when, when this person was in high school, and young adult now, and they shared they're going through this tough time in school. Nobody wants to be their friend. Nobody wants to be around them. Nobody, and, 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 and I'm trying to be sensitive, you know, and compassionate and caring and saying, you know what? Obviously, nobody wants to feel all that loneliness, but let me tell you something. What I was really wanting to say was, this is great. Because I got to tell you that there comes a time where all our friends are gone. Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, when it was just the Father and the Son, eventually. Even the disciples that were there were saying, she's bothering us. Folks, let me tell you, some people will get annoyed if you don't give up praying. Don't give up. There will be people around. You're still praying for that son. You're still praying for that mother. You're still praying for that uncle. You're still praying for that situation to turn around. People will get annoyed at your persistence, but don't give up. He brings us to a place where it's just the two of us. Now, at this time in history, some people, some of the Jewish people, would use the word for dog as a derogatory term. Referring to Gentiles, it actually meant they were despised or filthy or a homeless street scavenger. And she might have been called a dog before by a Jewish person. There's a possibility of that. And she might have heard, in other words, you're a homeless street scavenger. You got no home, you got no family, you're worthless, you're filthy. But now she hears something different. See, when speaking to this woman, Jesus uses a word for dog. Now, some of us are going to say, is this really that much better? Let me explain. Yes, it is. When speaking to this woman, Jesus uses a word for dog that refers to a household pet. I shared some of this at a prayer meeting a while back. I said, you should have entitled this message, Dogs for Christ. Jesus and the woman use the same word back and forth in their conversation. There's a deeper conversation going on here. It shows us that a Gentile believer would not be spiritually homeless, but would also be welcomed into God's household as his children. In verse 27, she takes her place in the household in humility. She says, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat from their master's table. She's like, listen, if that's what you're calling me, that's what you're calling me, but I'm going to still take my place in the house. And I'm going to take it in a place of humility. She wasn't interested in a title. She wasn't interested in acknowledgement. See, what others have overlooked, she sees as valuable. She misses it if she's focused on a title or position. She saw the scrap. She saw the crumb as valuable. If someone's focused on, well, well God, you know, you got to exalt me. You got to lift me up. You got to push me up. That's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't twisting God's arm to try to increase our life or to get him to, to, to satisfy our agenda. It's coming in humility. 
It's coming and saying, God, listen, if that's what you call me, I'm a, I'm a household pet, I'm a household pet, but I'm still invited to your table, because that's what she said. Still I get to go to the master's table, still I belong. And the Bible says that we have a banquet table of provision. He sets before us a table in the presence of our enemies. And what does that mean? It says that all the enemies that could be all around us, and not all physical, but there could be fear and there could be anxiety. There could be worry about the future. And this family member looks like they're falling apart. And this person just overdosed or whatever it may be. But God says, no, there's a table before you of my promises, of my strength, of my provision. And he prepares that table. She says, listen, I, I'll get a crumb from that table because I know a crumb from that table is more powerful than anything the enemy can throw. So why such... A testing in a time of need because this is a serious situation she's saying Jesus my daughter she's possessed by the devil by a demon and it torments her severely Jesus has no word testing going back and forth he she presses in and worships why such a testing at a time of situation like this well I think I wonder who her daughter would associate with after Jesus heals her See, if Jesus moves too fast sometimes, and again, this is just my belief, I think sometimes we miss something. He could have healed her just like that. But I don't know if the mother would have been ready when someone in the neighborhood comes over and says, hey, my daughter's possessed by a demon too. How'd you get the answer? What happened? Now she's prepared. Now she went through testing. Now she went through a discipline of prayer. Not just getting up in the morning. And I'm not trying to put anyone's prayer life down. But get up in the morning. It's so much deeper than just, God, thank you for this day. And uh, help me to live good today. Pour out your heart. Every one of you know how to do that. Every single person in this room knows how to do that. Because you've probably done it in a relationship at one point or another. Whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship. You've done it. And so you continue to do the same thing and pour out your heart to the Lord. And sometimes don't get up until he tells you to get up. Even through the testing, she was declaring whose family she belonged to and who God is. Don't give up. Pray again. Just like this lady, she didn't give up through the testing. You keep praying. You come with a cry. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Believe God. I was joking with Pastor Daniel at the last Tuesday night prayer meeting when he had, I was asking him, Pastor, what would you like me to, to focus on in this message? And, and he said, how does praying help us spiritually grow? So I said, I could just go up there and say, we pray or die, and that's it. And, and that's the whole message. But that is the truth. Why pray? Because if not, we're done. 120 failures went into an upper room. Gloriously got filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't stay there. They went to prayer because there's a world outside the upper room. There's a world outside the upper room. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I've shared just a tiny bit of what you've shared with me in my heart and in my life, through people, through your Holy Spirit, through your word on prayer. God, I can't make anyone pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal the necessity, the deep need to pray, the privilege of prayer, what happens when we don't pray, and what happens when the testing comes. Because I think most of us, it's easy to pray when we just ask for something, it comes right away. But God, we're talking about discipline. And so, Father, make us disciplined. And Lord, you also put this in my heart. 
no one looking around. You're here today. You're not born again. And, and the reality, I'm not just saying this because it's something that pastors do at the end of a message. I mean this. The Bible says everyone lives forever. It's either in heaven or it's in hell. It's eternity with God or without God. And the Bible doesn't say you get there by being good. You get there by tithing. You get there by going to church. You get there by serving in ministry. It says a man must be born again. That person has to actually surrender their life to Jesus. There are cries in hell. There are prayers. Talk about some of the worst prayers in the world. I'm sure there are people praying in eternity in hell. God, just do something. Send someone to my family. Do something. But Lord, we still have a chance right now. So I ask whoever that person is, God, that you would reveal yourself right now to them. If you're in this room and you've never been born again, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything silly. I'm not even going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right now where you are. If you're in this room right now, raise your hand. Whoever's in this room that's never been born again, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, raise it nice and high, unashamedly. Unashamedly. Father, and those of you that are online, You've never been born again. Doesn't matter if you were raised in the Catholic church, went to Catholic school, went to some religious place, or spent time in a on fire church your whole life. If you've never been born again, just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender to you. No playing games. I open my heart to you. You're mine. Forgive me for my sin. I need you in Jesus' name. The rest of us, let's stand because we're going to worship together.